And now, okay, here we go. Romans, uh, Book of Romans, Grace and Peace to you. We're in, Ro in lesson number 51. And this is Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. So that's where we're going to focus tonight. A very, um, really a very important section of Scripture, although we could say all parts of Scripture are important, but this one specifically directed toward Paul uh, bringing assurance to uh, those who he's been writing to. We've, uh, we've covered this again, but for some who may be uh, just now joining lessons, uh, this is Paul writing to the church in Rome um, to help remove confusion, um, wrong teaching, uh, a lot of probably wrong assumptions, uh, that there are people who have, have only heard parts of the gospel uh, because at this time there was no written scripture for people to read except Old Testament. And so none of the New Testament had been written, although Paul has written Thessalonian letters, Galatian letters, and the Corinthian letters. He has already written, but they're not openly circulated. Some of the people in Rome obviously uh, would have had those. And so Paul is um, wanting to understand them to understand what the gospel is. And it's not us. The gospel is all about God, what God has done for us. The law is all about you, what God requires of you, what God demands of you, which you cannot do. So Paul wants the, under him, them to understand that and that the, uh, the ways of trying to live by the law will only bring frustration to believers. It brings frustration to unbelievers and condemnation, and it'll do the same thing to a believer. If we try to live by the law, we will feel condemned, we will feel imperfect, and it will bring frustration because we can't live by the law. We weren't meant to live by the law. The law was meant to lead us to Christ. And we'll see those things reflected over and over, as we've been saying, through Paul's writing. But this section, he's finally come to the solution, starting in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that it is by the Spirit, and God has given his Spirit to us so that we can live this life as God desired us to live. He saved us so that we could live for him. But he didn't just say, okay, I saved you, now go do it. No, he put his spirit within. And we talked about the helper last week. We translated that word helper. It's parakletes, P-A-R-A-K-L-E-T-E-S, parakletes. And the idea behind the parakletes is the helper, yes, the comforter, as the King James translates it, but one who stands beside to call you to encouragement, to instruct you. He comes to your side not to do it for you, but to tell you how you can do it. So I use the definition coach. I think that is an excellent definition in our realm of understanding. I got to thinking about this this morning as I was working on my, my lessons. There is another extension of this word parakletes that was um, involved with the Roman army, the Greek armies to begin with, and then the Roman armies, where they had uh, these men who would go before their army dressed in the garments of like a lion or a jaguar or with an eagle upon their head. Um, all these things, you know, they, they looked just really weird. They were called standard bearers, but in the Greek, they were called parakletes. They didn't carry a sword. They didn't fight. They just went beside in front of the soldiers. They were there calling to them, you're winning. You can do this. The general has said this, move to this section. So this guy was by their side, giving them directions. And he was dressed kind of weird, bizarre. It's out of that that we get the idea of a mascot. 
So that's the idea behind the mascot. You know, and so choose something, you know, symbolic for your mascot, not somebody who stole land or something like that. Um, you know, you want like a rolling tide or something like that to be your mascot. So, okay, I'm moving on. But um, we want, so this, this mascot, he wasn't going to fight. He wouldn't fight for you. He would tell you how to fight. And that's another perfect example of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's called to your side, but he's inside of you. And he's in here to tell you how to fight, to tell you where to go, how to live, what to do, to give you instruction, or as Paul uses in my title in this section, to be led by the Spirit. And all of that fits into this context of the idea of being led by the Spirit. So, the title for my lesson is, Are You Led by the Spirit? He's in here. Are you listening? And so this is the important principle that is here. So let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh... To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14 For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Every believer is what? A son of God. It's one thing to be a son of God, it's another to be led, which is what we're going to talk about. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children... Then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. All right, there's a bunch in here, a lot to look at. So Paul is already in the, in the lessons before this, in passages 1 through 11, he's confirmed that the Spirit of God is in us. We have the Spirit of God. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not of his. So every believer has the Spirit of God. Paul said earlier in, in chapter 8, he says, you're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. It's one thing to be in the Spirit, all right, to have the Spirit, to be in the realm of His control. It's another thing to let Him control you. So He's in here. Are you following? He's standing there as your coach. Are you listening? He's the one that's calling orders to you, telling you how to fight, what to do, how to deal with this situation. Are you learning? He's your teacher. He's your guide. He's your helper. And when you need comfort, he is your comforter. If you are receiving it from him. So in one sense, and I don't mean this to be, you know, taken wrong, in one sense, if we have the Spirit of God in us and we are doing everything that He's like, we don't need anything else from the outside. We have the perfect helper in us. Amen. Jesus said, you know, you want me with you? No, I'm going to give you something better than me being with you. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in you. So you wouldn't need anybody else to preach to you, to teach to you, to lead you, to advise you, to counsel you, to help you. If you are fully, fully listening to the Spirit on the inside, you don't need anybody else from the outside. Although God knew we won't be perfect in that, so he gave us friends, teachers, people with big mouths who can talk for hours, right? <laughs> Gave us pastors, counselors, helpers. Then he, he gave us his word. 
so that we could read instruction and get this instruction. But still, what a lot of believers, they're not listening to the one on the inside, and neither are they listening to the ones on the outside. So God's people need help. God's given it, but are we yielding to it? So that's what Paul is bringing up in here. And the question then is uh, about what God has given us, and are we listening? Are we accepting? Are we learning? Are we being encouraged? Are we being helped? Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. All right, that's a that's a just a outright blanket statement. There it is. All who are led by the Spirit. But what does Paul mean by that? Notice that verse 14 starts with the word for. See that? Which means this is based on what he just said in the verse ahead of that. So we need to go up to, again, back to verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So the first thing Paul wants to declare in here is that we have the Spirit, but are we being led? Are you allowing the Spirit to lead you? And I'll come back to that here in just a little bit. Now, this is not strange teaching from the Apostle Paul. He uses this kind of phrasing and this kind of instruction time again in his letters. In fact, I, I would dare say you could find in every one of Paul's letters somewhere where he makes statements that would support and follow along these, these principles. But here's just a few. Galatians chapter 5, very familiar to all of us. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify, satisfy, fulfill the desires of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't satisfy the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say, if you don't satisfy the flesh, you're walking in the Spirit. You can't turn it around. All right? So you've got to walk by the Spirit. In Colossians chapter 3, I, I just selected several verses to put down here in a context, so just kind of go with me. I, I took phrases out of each one of these verses. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Skipping down to verse 9, Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones. So if we're his chosen ones, we're to put off that old and put on this new. And where is it coming from? From within. And who's telling us what it is? The Holy Spirit. He's going to help us know what God has given us. He's going to help us apply what God has given us. He's going to give us assistance in all these things. He didn't just leave it up to us. This is not a new set of the law that you have to bring from the outside to the inside. No, you bring it from the inside to the outside. And the image that Paul uses in Romans 12 is the metamorphosis, the life that's on the inside changes the life that's on the outside. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And then chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 12, skipping through, he says, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards this direction that God has given, disregards this instruction to walk differently, to live a life that is different, to live a life that will please God, just as you have done that. Therefore, whoever disregards that, disregards not man, but who? God, who gives us his Holy Spirit. One translation says, who has given us his spirit, which is called holy. I like that. Because his spirit, his 
different. He's teaching us something different. He's setting us apart, leading us in a different way. And so what Paul is saying in all of these contexts is that there is, there is direction coming from within. God wants to do something in us and through us to live out his life that he's put in us, to live out the life he's put in us, and please him. Now, we can confess all day that we want to. Every day you could say it, that like it says about Jesus in John 8, 29, he says, I'm always doing those things that please my Father. Well, that's a wonderful confession. I'm not sure it's the truth. <laughs> Jesus was always doing the things that pleased his Father. But how am I doing? Yeah. No, no, I being each one of you individually. Don't, don't, don't. You know, how's Jeff doing? No, <laughs> how are you doing in that? Right. Always doing those things that please the Father. Wow, that is, man. Well, it's a goal, right? John says, "I wrote these things to you that you not sin." But and if you do. <laughs> and that little if in there, but if you do, means you will. So, but and if you do, you have an advocate. Guess what that word advocate is? We tried, we translated as defender, uh, defense attorney, whatever. Forget, they didn't have our type of, of justice and judicial system back then. In Paul's day, Roman law, Greek law, even basically under Jewish law, you were guilty till proven innocent. So guess what that word defender is? Parakletes. The same Greek word for helper, comforter, teacher, guide, coach. He is our defender also. He's the one who shows up and with his word, sets us free. That's how the parakletes was used in the Roman law. If you had someone who would show up in court and speak on behalf of you, you could get set free. All I need, I need a friend of the court. How many of you need a friend of the court? <laughs> so, but and if we sin, we got an advocate. We got the parakletes. He's going to step in and... Remove the guilt by applying the blood of Jesus, by which God's wrath has been removed. So, <clears throat> what Paul wants us to see is that there is a life that we can live that's different. But we can only live it by the help of the Holy Spirit. So, bottom of your page. What I've, what I've done, if you notice in your notes, what I've done is I put in parallel the Passion Translation with the ESV, English Standard Version. So in red is the English Standard Version. In green below each verse is the Passion Translation. I did that because it is, a lot of it is so clear. I, I got almost just read this and forget my teaching. But um, so Paul says the ESV in the red, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. The passion says, so then, beloved ones, the flesh has no claim on you or us, and we have no further obligation to live in obedience to it. That's great. I mean, that is, that's just a great statement in itself. When I'm not a debtor to the flesh. I'm not under obligation to the controlling power of the flesh. It's there, but I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to follow it. Don't walk in the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. But i got to listen to the Spirit if I'm not going to live the other way. So, I'm not a debtor to the flesh. In other words, I'm not under obligation, as it says there. It doesn't have a claim. I'm not a debtor to my flesh. But 
how often do we put ourselves under the obligation, the power of the control of the flesh? And so it is so easy to give in to the flesh. But notice that you had to put yourself under. And so this, this construction in the Greek language was very effective. So Paul starts off the phrase, you're debtors not to the flesh. Instead of starting off with a positive side like we normally teach things, he starts off with the negative side. He didn't say, in fact, he doesn't even give the opposite side of this. He just gives the negative side, and then he's, it's like his mind got caught away into furthering on that subject. He never really gives us the positive side. So then, brothers, you are not debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And he moves from not, you're not debtors. You are not debtors. Just like he said in the verse up above, you are not in the flesh. But how hard is it for us to get that through? I'm not under obligation to my flesh. Well, I couldn't help myself. Yes, you could. Yeah, but I just, I lost control. You don't have to lose control. You're in control. You didn't lose control. You gave control. Oh, man, Jeff, this is not fun. <laughs> and then he goes on from that top of your next page. For if you live according to the flesh. So if, if you live in it, you're not a debtor to it. It has no claim on you. The flesh does not have controlling power over you. But if you do give in to it. If you live according to the flesh, if you follow after its ways, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Now, in the green, the Passion says, For when you live controlled by the flesh, you're about to die. But if by the life of the Spirit... You put to death the corrupt ways of the flesh. Within taste his abundant life. You will live. So, now this is not a verse about your security of salvation. This is not about the reality of your salvation. It's about the reality of, of the way things are lived in his life. If you live as one controlled by the flesh, something's going to die. Something will die. If a believer gives himself back over. Now, an unbeliever doesn't have any choice. That's how they live. And an unbeliever is bound toward death. But if I live in the same way, what's going to happen? Nothing. Because I'm a Christian. Nothing's going to... Nobody teaches that. Well, nobody that teaches the Bible teaches that. Paul never says, nowhere in the New Testament, all the teaching on grace you have doesn't say you can live any way you want to. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Why? Because death is there. Something will die. And so you live according to the flesh. You give in to the controlling power of the flesh. Something dies. It might be you physically violating some principle by which you put your life in danger and you will die. It might be a marriage that dies. It might be your job. It might be your financial security that dies. It might be your mental stability that dies. Something will die because you can't live under the direction and control of the flesh and nothing happened. It won't work that way. Now, when we sin, we have what? An advocate, a defense attorney. Somebody speaking into my life says, Jeff, this is not the way to walk. You, know, you, need, to, you need to watch this attitude because this attitude is going to lead you to a place you don't want to go. Ultimately, 
it will lead you to death. Something will die. I've got something on the inside of me that is saying, get out of this. The spirit inside says, I, I'm, I'm not leading you here. In the battle for my life, I've got a paracletes standing by me. He says, don't go fight over there. You're taking yourself out of the ranks and you're going to put yourself out in danger. Don't do that. So I've got somebody on the inside that's helping me. Am I listening? So that's what he's talking about here. Now, that was our former life. We didn't have any choice. The thing is, it's not supposed to be our present life. I put this down here, but I want, I want you to look at the verse. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Now, there's so much in this. I, I know I'm dipping into something that it's like, oh, my God, you opened a can of worms. No, just reading the scripture. Verse 16. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, see, there's a, there's a catchphrase. See, it could, if, if, if that not leading to death wasn't in there, then the whole verse would be different. But it is in there. And who put it in there? John did. By what? By the direction of the Spirit of God. Right? He wrote as he was moved on by the Spirit of God. So if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death. You mean there are sins that are not leading to death? Yeah. We have those situations in our life just about every day. Things the Lord wants us to do, we didn't do. That's a sin. Things that we should be doing that we're not. Things that we shouldn't be doing that we are. We find those things, attitudes, passions, desires, interests, actions, attitudes, words that come out of our mouth. Do I need to go on? Okay, but those don't all lead to death. But if you keep on and keep on and keep on, if you give yourself into that, then something's going to happen. Now, here's the beautiful thing, and, and again, I'm way into my depth here. If you see your brother committing a sin not leading to death, you'll ask, and God will give him life. You mean I can pray? I can pray for a brother or sister who's committing sin and God will forgive them? I can do that? Everybody say yes. yes. Why? Why can I do that? Because it says so. <laughs> so it's pretty simple. Say, so I, what? Yeah, I can pray for people who may be committing sin. I can pray for them and God will forgive them. Now that doesn't mean they don't need to change. Because if I have to keep praying for them, I'm going to be on their doorstep. Hey, knock it off. I got other things to pray about. But no, that's well for a bit. Even Eliphaz, Job chapter 29. He said the same thing. Speaking to Job, he said, you know, you can, you can forgive your brother. You can pray for your brother and God will, will give him life. Same principle. To those, he will give life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. I heard that phrase again. Do not lead to death. Now, there is a sin that leads to death. Now, that's not some specific sin. That's not, oh, this is the one sin. What is, what's the one sin? I'll commit all the rest of them. I can be forgiven. But this one sin, you better not commit that one because that's the one. No, what's the one? The one that pushes, you know, the, the button too far. <laughs> it, it, it goes beyond the edge. God has been forgiving. God has been forgiving. God has been forgiving. I have been praying. Other people have been praying. People are ministering. But you have gone beyond. And there is a sin that is unto death. One that is like fills the cup. And then What? I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. 
Can that person repent? Yeah. But I can't pray for them. There's a place where maybe you've been praying for someone, praying for them, praying for them, praying for them, but finally God says that's it. Either they change or there's death involved. Now this is not eternal damnation. This is not eternal death. This is them committing sin that is somehow going to lead them. Maybe it's, maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's some other type of thing. Maybe it's rage in their life. Maybe it's something that is going on, and it's going on, and it's going on, and you've been talking to them. You've been praying for them. But there's a place when God finally says, no, this is it. You've told them enough. You've prayed enough. Now they have to change. Because if they don't, death is involved. Right? We see this also brought up in, in the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul says these, these two men, actually there is five, ultimately, two men who were false teachers in the church, and Paul said, I turned them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Some people call that excommunication, but that's really not what he did. He just simply said, I, I can't pray for these guys anymore. Either they're going to change or they're going to face judgment in this life. Now, I can't tell. I mean, someone could tell me they're born again. I don't know that except by their testimony. But God knows. And if they are believers, then they may fight, face some kind of death. Something will die. Okay, let's go back to our notes. Because that's what he's talking about. If you live, notice he said, if you, you live, present tense, if you are living according to the flesh. He didn't say, if you lived according to the flesh. It's not like he's talking about your former life. This isn't about your former life. This is about your present life. And there will be death. Why? Because it's up to us to do what? Put to death the deeds of the body. I want you to notice that part of the verse. But if by the Spirit, chapter 8, verse 13, top of the page, but if by the Spirit you put you, you put to death the what? Deeds of the body. This is you taking authority over that part of your flesh. You taking authority. This is your activity. And how do you do this? How does this happen? If you, what's the little phrase in there? But if you, by the Spirit. By the Spirit. So here's, here's that wonderful helper that's on the inside of you that's going to help you put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's like, I just can't control this. Well, call upon your helper. That's why he's there, because you can't control it. He's the one that's going to help you get past this. You say, well, I don't know. I don't know anybody that's ever, you know, triumphed over this. Yeah, they have. You don't know everybody in the world. There's people that overcome all kinds of things. Nobody's faced the problems that I've faced. You don't know what I'm going through. God does, and he put his Holy Spirit on the inside. If you're a believer, his Spirit lives in you, and with his help... With his help, you can put to death the deeds of the body. Now notice he says body here. And he doesn't put the word flesh in. This is the deeds of, of the body. Because the flesh influences the body. And the body is what acts. Your mouth. Your eyes. Your mind. Your desires. Your hands. It's the body. But it's being influenced by the flesh because you are not following the Spirit. But God has put His Spirit in you, and you can put to death the deeds of the flesh. Now Paul's going to build on this a little bit more, and we'll talk about that toward the end of our lesson. But you can put these things to death. Galatians chapter 5, 24, those, thing, those who belong to Christ have, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So its power has been taken away. Then why are you doing the things that it wants you to do? It doesn't have power to make you. But you still have the power now, not the flesh. And so it is the spirit. It's not self-effort. It is not you making this work. It's God helping you by the presence of the spirit that is in you. Now, verse 14. For all who are led by the spirit. So here comes that, that beautiful phrase. For, meaning applying to what we've just been talking about. How are you going to put to death the deeds of the flesh? The Spirit. For if you are led, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now what does that mean? The, the phrase that we are sons of God. Well, praise God, I'm a son of God. That's it. You know, it's just, I'm a son of God. I can put that down. I could tattoo it on my arm or whatever. I can, can write it on my books. I can... Make a little plaque. I'm a son of God and daughter. But um, no, it's the word son is important because of the Greek relationship. And so you have to understand the meaning of this. Paul didn't say, if you are led by the Spirit, you are a child of God. Child's another word. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. We are all children of God. Born of God, are we not? We're his children. We'll talk about that. But son is a different category. It's a different word. So, let's go back a minute. First of all, for all who are led, mm, the green, the passion, says the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. I, I like that passion. The mature children, that is the sons of God, are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. See, we think being led means, well, he's, he's doing this, so I just kind of sit back and put it on autopilot. And I'm, my car's got, you know, got the cruise control. It's got the lane change thing. You know, I can, I can set this on my car and it'll kind of steer a, a, a slight curve on the highway. But after a few seconds, it says, beep, beep, beep. The steering wheel starts shaking. You know, it's like, put your hands back on the wheel, stupid. You know, so. But I don't, I, I don't want one of those self-drive cars. No, I don't want, I, I don't want that. I, I don't want a car that has got full auto drive. So I can just sit back and let the car drive me where it wants. No. And neither is the Spirit like that. He will not drive you where God wants you to be. He will lead you, which means you must respond. Who was, who was telling me about their, their dog? Who was, who, Fred, was that you were talking about your dog? You put the leash on the dog, and what does he do? He sits down. There it is. You can put the leash on. I ain't going nowhere. You can drag me sitting, but I am, I am not going anywhere. You know, we think, you know, that God, God put his spirit in us, and therefore we are going to walk in the spirit because the spirit's inside us. No, you are being led. It's a passive voice verb, which means you are allowing yourself to be led. To allow yourself. And it's in a present tense, which means this goes on and on and on. You are continually allowing yourself to be led by the Spirit. You don't get a day off. Well, this is my, this is my you know, just a layback day. I'm not, I'm not doing nothing. You know, if God wants me to do something, he'll take me there. No, you still got to be led by the Spirit. And so the idea of this is if you are allowing yourself to be led by the Spirit, all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Now, sons of God comes from the Greek word huios, H-U-I-O-S, huios. And huios is, is a Greek word which designates maturity, but much more than that. Huios was 
one who was capable to be uh, committed to the Father's business. He was, um, had been entrusted with the Father's business. This is, he's, a, he's a child, but he's now being allowed to be in control of the Father's business. He's been given authority. He's been given direction. He's been given, uh, in, he's been entrusted. So all of these are, are working for the huios. The huios is a child who has been given this place of authority, control. And that's the word that Paul uses here. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. What he's saying is you are showing that you are sons of God. You are making demonstration. You are proving that you are sons of God. Now, every believer is a child of God. And every believer is a son of God. Everyone. But just like being led by the Spirit, are you allowing it? Are you allowing this position to be uh, demonstrated in your life? Look at the word sons in verse 14. The Holy Spirit's control direction attests the believer's privileges in God's family as a son. Huios, a child mature enough to take an adult family, uh, take on adult family privileges and responsibilities. Now this could be, and so... The word adoption is used in connection with this word. It could be a child that's brought in, has been legally adopted into the family, could be a point of this. But so also, every child born in the home, every son, reached a place where his father would either, either commit the business to him or pass over him. So I'm not giving the business to you. Right? We've all watched TV programs you know, where the wrestling is, well, that's the elder son. He's the one that's supposed to have it, but the elder son isn't right. Oh, that sounds like the story of Jacob and Esau. It's like the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau didn't want that responsibility. Esau knew what? New Testament tells us this. We'll talk more about that in Romans chapter 9. But Esau didn't want this responsibility being the the head of the family. I don't want to be the firstborn. I don't want to carry the name into the next generation. I don't want to be the, the authority. I don't want to be in charge of the religion. I don't want any of that. You want it? Give me the stew and you can have the birthright. It wasn't deserving of that position. So also... In the Roman family, it might be, it might be a, a naturally born child of the family. It might be one who's been adopted into the family. Uh, but whatever it is, this son is proved himself so that he is now given this position of authority. And it's called, the next word, sonship. It's called sonship. Sonship, skip down over children, I'll, I'll come back to that. Sonship is the, simply the Greek word huios, son, and the word thesis, which means to place. Huiothesis. And huiothesis means to place the one as a son, to place them as a son. They are, but now you're placing them. And this is a, a, a formal positioning that is given, and so you have, in a sense, this child has proved himself through his learning, through his education, through commitment, through faithfulness, through many other things. He's proved himself, and so the father places him in this position to, in a sense, rule the business. He can sign the checks. He can sell the property if he wants to. He can run the business. And so the, the father has given him this privilege. Now, here's the beautiful thing about this word. You know who gets this position of sonship? You prove it when you're being led by the Spirit, but you know who has it? 
every believer, as soon as you were born again, you are adopted. In the Greek word, huia thesaeus. You are placed in sonship. As soon as you are born again, you don't have to prove anything. You don't have to grow into a certain place. You have that authority from the day that you are born again, from the minute that you are born again. I find it amazing. You know, I, I like to watch a lot of Discovery Channel stuff and the nature things, and it is amazing how uh, animal infants, especially like on the African plains, <laughs> the prey animals, yeah, they can get up and run like hours after they've been born. It takes our babies years <laughs> to get to the place where they can run. You know, and they, they are capable so quickly. And God gives them that ability. He created that into their nature. Why? Because they are prey. <laughs> but... God gives that to every believer who is, comes to salvation. Everyone is placed as a son. Let's look at this uh, in uh, Galatians chapter 4. Actually, I'm going to start in chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ you are all. How many? All. How many? All. all. You are all huios of God. All of you. After what? After I've done this, I've graduated, I got my master's degree, I got my doctorate degree, I got you know three postgraduate degrees. No. You are all sons of God. How? Next two words. How? Through faith. You're all sons of God through faith. You believed in Jesus Christ. Bang. You're a son of God. For as many as you are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Skip on down to chapter 4. Paul says in verse 1, I mean that, there, that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from the slave though he is the owner of everything. But he's under a guardian, manager, until the date set by his father. In the same way, verse 3, Galatians 4, 3, we, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive, what? Adoption of sons. Quia placing his son so that we might receive how did you receive it by faith and the day you were born you were placed in authority what that means is you can't say i can't control this i don't have the power i don't have the ability i don't know enough to rule over this somehow we've gotten the idea and we teach young believers that you have to grow in all these things until the place where you can control this in your life no you don't you can control it from the day you get born again. Walk away. Draw on the help of the Holy Spirit. Realize what's on the inside of you. You've got the authority of a son from the day that you're born again. That's who you are. Now, I'm not proving it if I'm not following the spirit being led by the spirit i may be a son but if i'm not being led by the spirit there's no demonstration of that i got i got the authority but my life doesn't show it my family doesn't know it the people i work around don't know it i'm a son of god but nobody knows anything different no they should know something different because you're a son of God and you are not under the power of the old life. You have authority. Take your authority. Use your authority. That's what you've been given. You're a son of God. From the day that you have been born again and you have received this adoption as a son. And as because 
verse 6, Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I've got an intimate relationship with the Father. I've got the Holy Spirit inside, and I am in Jesus Christ. How much better does it get? Not because I learned all those things, but because they are realities from the day that you got born again. Now I know, we are learning things, and Paul wrote this letter so people would know these things and understand these things, but the reality was there before they learned it. And you have the Holy Spirit to teach you this. A new believer can follow the Spirit. Oh, they haven't been to following the Spirit school. You don't need to go to following the Spirit school. You got the Spirit on the inside of you. Listen to Him. Now, I'm not trying to get rid of a job because I want you here, you know, so keep coming to class. But, um, but you've got the Spirit inside. You're a child of God. Go back up to your notes. Sons, about the middle of page two, down below. Children. Children just simply means that you are of His family. You belong to the family of God. Children. Every son was a child, either adopted or born into the family. But not every child knows that they're a son. You are a child of God. That's true. But do you know you're a son? That you have that kind of authority? That God has entrusted you? You know, that's, a, that's an amazing word, and I, I, I don't have time to get into this right now, so why am I bringing it up? Because it's on my head. But there are three places in the New Testament where God puts his faith in you. You know, you say, wait a minute. No, I put my faith in God. That's true, right? Our faith is in God. But there are places where it tells us that God has put his faith in us. To be entrusted is the passive voice of faith. To have somebody express their faith towards you and the person expressing their faith towards you is God. God puts something in you. The Father entrusts His Son with the business. The Father puts His faith that His Son will run this. God has invested you, entrusted you, gifted you, empowered you, authorized you. So, do something about it. Don't look at the world. Don't look at your flesh. Don't look at your passions. Don't look at your actions and say, I don't know, I can't get control of you. You can. You just aren't. Said, Jeff, you're being really mean to us tonight. I'm not. I just want to help people wake up. We're his sons. Look at verse 15. Man, I got I got a few minutes left. I know, we started late, so it's 53 minutes, I'm good. Verse, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I, I don't have to bow to this stupid flesh. The passions, the flesh that wants to control me and tell me how to do this and how I need to think and how I need to react. I, I don't need, to, I'm not falling back into slavery. I didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear oh i got to do what the flesh wants me to do i can't control this i can't do the yes you can take authority but you have received the spirit of adoption you have been placed as a son take authority stop giving your authority and take it Stop yielding authority to the flesh, to the mind, to the passions, to the ideas, to your actions. The spirit of slavery, the Holy Spirit did not place you there. He put you in a place of sonship. Top of next page. Romans chapter 8, 15. Paul says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery. 
but the, received the Spirit adoption as sons. 1 Corinthians 2.12, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God. 2 Timothy 1.7, God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-control. The word timidity or fear, 2 Timothy 1.7, God did not give you a spirit of fear. The Greek word is delia, which is the Greek word for cowardice, one of the ugliest words in the Greek vocabulary. Cowardice. It's not fear phobos that we normally think of. It's the word cowardice. I could do something. I'm just not going to. Cowardice. Ugly. God didn't give me a spirit of cowardice that I have to bow down to the passions of my life. That I have to give in to thoughts and actions and activities. That someone outside of me has control to pull me into a way of life that I don't want to live. God didn't give me that. I received a, the spirit of adoption of sons. I've received the spirit which is from God. And this spirit is of power and love and sober thinking, stable-mindedness. Go back to the bottom of your second page and let's read the Passion Translation of this verse in the green. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. <laughs> I like that one. Leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. Enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection. Beloved Father. Papa, Father, I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got an intimate relationship with the Father. He's my dad. It's one thing, the Greek word for just addressing him as father, or we would say he is a father. That's a, that's a word of, of position. It's a word of authority, maybe, um, a title. And it's, it's, it's from the same root as Abba, but it's different than this word. This word is the intimate word for father, what you would call your dad. My dad was Pop. That's how I always called him. You may, yours might be Papa, might be Daddy, there's Dad, or even Father, but it sounds different. And this is, this is that intimate word. People on the outside did not call my dad Pop. He was, he was my dad. He was my Pop. And so there's a, there's a relationship in this. And the spirit of adop, adoption has placed me in this position where I have, I have a different relationship than the world has. The Greek translations of this it's the word that jesus used when he was praying in the garden it's the word that he used when he was talking about uh, following the father doing things the father's way and it's the word in galatians 4 6 papa verse 16 i gotta gotta quit here pretty quick i'm at 58 word okay the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Actually, the Greek language says the Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. He bears witness to, not just with. The word bears witness is to bear with, to, to witness alongside. And he witnesses alongside of me that, and to me that I am a child of God. The assurance I have I am a child of God comes from the very Spirit of God. People say, well, prove you are. I, I don't have to. The Spirit inside of me, He witnesses to me I'm a child of God. If you don't know that you're a child of God, then you need to wake something up on the inside of you or you need to get born again. Because you should know you are a child of God. And as a child... He's also placed me as a son.
Finally, verse 17, and if children were heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that he may be, in order that, uh, that we may also be glorified with him. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover that in our next session. So we'll uh, move on from there. And um, we'll start in verse 17 and then go on through the next section. Um, our lesson next week, because we have class next week, but then after that we'll have our holiday break. <clears throat>